Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Um, last week I talked about Gideon. I'm not actually going to talk about uh, Gideon this week. Um, uh, but I do want to talk about, uh, uh, you know, I was even trying to, I was struggling really with what to talk about this morning, but I then felt God uh, kind of speak to me um, and put some things I wanted to say in a, in, a, in a better context. And I want to talk to you about, um, and I, I please don't mishear what I say, but I want to talk to you about how I live, what motivates my life. Um, I realised that uh, I was in a meeting yesterday and um, uh, the guy who was speaking, he talked about the fact that the world almost feels like a social experiment right now. He talked about the fact that um, we live in a world that's not only changing, but it has changed. Um, if you think about 10 years ago, uh, most of us in this room are older than the social media things that we use. Yeah, Instagram only came out about eight years ago. 25 years ago, the internet didn't exist or not in a way that we were able to use it. Social media has changed the way we function in the world completely and forever. And not only that, we have changed how we relate in terms of morality and we're no longer driven by the idea of morals, we're driven by the idea of equality and fairness and they become the primary values that exist in our world. Now, although we see a world as a result of all of that broken, we don't relate those two things. We don't relate growing suicide rates among young men, we don't relate that to gender confusion. We don't relate those two things. Or we don't relate the fact that, um, uh, you know, nowadays 50% of children are born outside of marriage. We don't relate any of these things together. We kind of just think this is the way the world is. And for a Christian, it becomes a tricky place. Is that not true? Yeah? For a Christian, it's tricky. How do I live a life that... Um, a, a, a Christian life in a world that is forever changing and, and has fundamentally changed because if you had lived in this country and we, you, if we could transport ourselves back 50 years and we were in this country at the age we are now, life would be very different. Uh, apart from the fact that we probably wouldn't have a church that was as diverse as this, put that aside, life would be very different. There would be so many norms that are accepted that when you walked out the door, you knew certain things about the way the world worked. Yeah? And that is not the case today. So how then do we as Christians live without um, um, drifting along with the way the world is and kind of almost reinventing faith to accommodate the world? Yeah? How, how do we do that? And now, I, I wouldn't say I think about that all the time, but I became aware that I have particular uh, probably values or principles or subconscious motivations that drive how I live. I don't know whether you do. I'm going to share, share with you my ones. 
and hopefully in such a way that you might feel, oh, okay, that's great for Owen. Um, I'm glad he's got his. I'm going to find some. Or it maybe you go, oh, that, that's quite inspiring. I'm, I'm going to follow something similar. Now, the reason I, I'm sharing it, and I hesitate to do it, but I just feel it's right to do it, is having lived this kind of way for most of my life, I can say, even in an ever-changing world, um, there is hope. There is a way that you can live um, that brings hope. And uh, it kind of comes, I suppose, you know, we sang earlier about, um, come build your kingdom here. There's, there's this big desire to live wherever God is. Because if I live where God is, um, that's a place of real blessing. And, and I have found that to be true. And I haven't found it to be true because I am a particularly a particular kind of person. I very uh, vividly remember being a teenager. I do. And I was well, being 17, 18, and just living in a world and really not, uh, not knowing where my life was going to end up. Yeah? I remember that. I remember being a teenager, not knowing where my life was going to end up. Would I ever get married? What would I do with my life? I did not know. I didn't know the answer to that. The, the world at the time, at that time, the world looked dangerous to me. I, was, I grew up a um, roundabout, you know, I was a bit older than a teenager when, when Stephen Lawrence was murdered, and he was murdered not that far from where we live. Um, in, you know, I lived in Catford, he was murdered sort of, sort of in between Catford and Woolwich, and I knew the area, and I knew the world in which that happened, because I lived in it. And... Um, and yet, when I look back now, I go, oh, God, you have been so gracious and kind to me. I have not deserved it. And that is, a, that is a, an honest kind of, I look back, I go, oh, what could have happened? There were, there were moments early on in our married life where it, it could have fallen apart. Pauline and I made unwise decisions at different times in our lives. And often when we talk to some of you guys as you lead to marriage, uh, I've got to be honest, your, your, the maturity of your approach and all of that kind of stuff is way beyond what we were. We were not mature. Yeah? And uh, as you, uh, you may not know, Pauline left me twice in our first year. And, once, and, it, it's, and it's funny now, she's, a, she's got her, a leg problem. She broke her leg in, in her early 20s when we, we were travelling to Romania. Pauline broke her leg. And one day, having broken her leg, she left me. She walked out the house, hobbling along. And I didn't know. I was too busy watching the football to know where she was. And then when I turned around and realised she wasn't there, I was like, oh, where's Pauline gone? It was a very embarrassing time. And in fact, Phil was part of that moment because he was picking us up to take us to house group. He turns up, and I say, oh, uh, Pauline's just kind of popped out. <laughs> Yeah, So we were not great. It's the kindness of God. That is the only thing I can put my life down to. The kindness of God. Because it wasn't that I had lots of plans or ideas and I worked them through. It wasn't that I'd thought things out. I hadn't thought anything out. And when I look back, I realise that 
then having worked things out, and I, and I look back on my life now, I look back on my marriage, I look back on my kids, I look back, um, I remember there was moments where we had fallen out with my family, with my dad, particularly in those early days of our married life, and yet, uh, and now I have a, a, a good relationship with my dad. There were moments where there was tension between uh, Pauline's parents and me, and now they consider me their best friend. And it wasn't that I was great. If you knew me, you wouldn't think, yeah, he's going to make it. You would think, mm, is he going to make it? That is, on a, is that not true, Phil? I mean, Phil, he doesn't, <laughs> but it's true. It, I was not, you know, I'm not trying to paint. I wasn't bad, but I wasn't obviously going places. And then uh, when I look back, I realise that there were five Oh, I identify five, I suppose, values that subconsciously drive what I do. And it reminds me of the story of Joshua, and I was reminded of this yesterday, at the beginning of Joshua, um, when God comes to him and he says, okay, Joshua, you're going to take the land, uh, but the land you're taking, it's not like, yes, it's flowing with milk and honey, but it's also full of giants and walled cities. So it wasn't like it was an easy thing to do. What God says to Joshua is, I will be with you as I was with Moses. Um, Be careful to do everything that I have commanded. Be careful to keep the law close. Be careful how you live. And, And if you're careful how you live, I will be with you and I will bless you and no one will stand against you. So there was this instruction to Joshua that God promises I'll be with you, but with that instruction of I'll be with you, there is be careful how you live. And he gives him a way of living. And I felt, as I just thought about this, that there are, I suppose, as I say, these five um, core values that I realise consciously or subconsciously drive me. And so everything I do and everything I say and the way I act is filtered by this. And I'm sharing it with you because you might go, actually, if I can find some things that help me, that drive how I live, then, then I interpret the world accordingly. It doesn't make it always easy, but, it, but it, there is always a way. It's not always an easy way, but there is always a way. That's what I have discovered. And the first thing, as, as, a, as a Christian, that drives me, or one of the deep things that drive me, and, <clears throat> and I'm trying to be honest, I'm not, trying to be, I'm not trying to be particularly spiritual, I'm trying to be honest about how it works for me. The first thing is, there is something in me that always wants to honour God. There is something in me that always goes, in the end, there is no point in all of this if I don't honour him. Yeah? And that desire to honour him is like, um, it's like my desire to honour Pauline or to honour my girls. And (coughs) in the end, I want to honour them. There is something in me that says, I want to please God. And I want to please God. um, And it's a deep thing in my heart. I'm not saying it's performance related, but it's there. And it affects me in in kind of, um, I suppose, the Joshua way, when, when the Bible says, when God says to Joshua, be careful to follow my way. 
And you'll know at the end of Joshua, when he, when he talks to the people before he dies, and he says to them, choose which way you're going to go. Are you going to go God's way or are you going to go another way, another way? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua makes that decision. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I kind of, without realising it, made that kind of decision. People can choose which way. As for me, we're going to try and serve God. We're going to try and honour him. And part of that meant a um, taking a very high view, I suppose, of, of the Bible. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That becomes important to me. Scripture is God-breathed, which means it's not to be ignored. It's not to be rationalised away. It's, it's to be understood through careful interpretation and revelation, um, but you don't ignore it. You don't say, oh, no, there are other values. No, no, all scripture is God-breathed. And when Jesus was asked, um, what's the most important commandment? What does he say? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And so for me, just in my really simple lifestyle, that kind of thing became important, that I would honour God and regardless of what was going on around me, that's where I would go, even though the world around me changes. And so I've, I've always sought to do that. The second thing that I've probably always sought to do is to make Jesus um, like the, the foundation stone of my life, the centre of my life, the Lord of my life. Uh, for many Christians... Jesus is our, he's your saviour, and, and you'll talk about him as your saviour. He is the one with whom uh, you now enter a relationship with God because of what Jesus did. And we love the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he took our sins, that we now enter a relationship with God, and that is wonderful news. And I remember experiencing that as a child. I remember, um, I can't remember how old I was. I, I, I thought I was 10 and my sister said I was younger. I just remember there was a moment I went to an evening meeting. I, I, I wasn't more than 10. And I came home and I went into the dining room. I knelt down and I asked Jesus to come into my heart. And I came out and I said to mum, mum, I've become a true Christian. And my mum was a Jamaican lady. And she grabbed me. She said, praise the Lord. <laughs> and she gave me a big slobbery kiss. And then she would wipe her, do that to me. And uh, that was the common way my mum would embrace me. Um, and she, she was a Christian, and I could see that God had made such a difference in her life. I say that now. Well, at that age, I didn't know it like that, but I know I knelt and I prayed, and I know that for me that was an important moment. And we understand that, that Jesus comes into our life and we are saved. Yeah, it's wonderful news. And if you're a Christian here today, you will know it's wonderful news you will also know it's sometimes difficult to explain to people the, the magnitude of what it means to know Jesus. It's hard to explain. You say, well, and you, you try and get method. I can't explain. I just know it's wonderful. 
yeah, when Andrew says to his brother, Peter, we have found the Messiah. We've found him. You don't hear him trying to explain. He just says, no, we've found him. Come and see for yourself. And I remember that happening to me. Um, but what I've subsequently realized is that moment of salvation is actually a different moment to the moment where I genuinely submit everything I am to Jesus, where he becomes Lord. He is Saviour and he is Lord. It's possible, I think, to experience salvation and not be fully submitted to him to the point where everything I do is about you, Jesus. It's possible to be saved and still hold all sorts of thoughts and ideas which I held before I got saved. It's possible. I might have received forgiveness and freedom, um, but actually I still hold all sorts of thoughts and ideas um, uh, that that I held before I became a Christian. There is a lordship issue. Will I give Jesus my life? Will I do that? And I know for me, over the years, that has proved a challenge, yeah? Because I've got things I want to do. And it's almost like, but Jesus, I've got things I want to do. You might have plans. I've got plans. Can't we just kind of... Ne- Jesus doesn't negotiate the plans. Remember last week, if you were here, I said, we think being used as a negative, someone's using me, but Jesus uses us. God uses you for his own ends. And so there came a point where moving from a place of being saved to having Jesus as Lord was big for me. And that meant everything I did, I would submit to him. That he would be the centre of my life. And that is how one of the foundation stones. And so what that meant was... Uh, certain things I just knew, you know, because actually when you, when you have the spirit in you, there's certain things you, you just know they're not right. You could argue them. You could. You could rationalise things. You could almost rationalise to do anything. But in my heart, no, I'm just, it's just not right. And things being not right and the uncomfortableness of trying to live that way, I was like, well, if that's what it means for him to be Lord, if that's what it means to express that I love him, I'll do it. Yeah? And at times that meant I would live in a way that I knew naturally I would not live. Yeah? By nature, I think I would be very li- a liberal person. I would just be liberal. Yeah? I'm big into diversity and all that kind of stuff. I would be quite a liberal equality. I would be into that. But actually when I read the scripture, when I come to God, I realise, oh God, you're not liberal in the same way that I consider liberality. You're not. And therefore, whatever it is you say, I'll do. And and what does Jesus say? I only never did what I saw the Father doing. Now, we take that and we kind of separate it out. Oh, yeah, Jesus was like, yeah, Jesus. He only never did what he saw the Father doing. We will negotiate what we see the Father doing to make sure that our thing still happens. So having Jesus as the foundation stone became an important way in which I have tried to live. The third way that I've tried to live is to be led by the Spirit. To be led by the Spirit. And I choose those words very carefully because 
in Matthew and in Luke, when Jesus faces temptation, in Luke it says, full of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert. There is a difference. And I grew up in a generation um, in the church where people were, were really, the, the big issue wasn't the issues that we face, the, the, the social media, the brokenness and all of that. Those, I'm not saying they weren't there, but they weren't the big issue. The big issues we faced in the church when we were growing up was, was the gifts of the Holy Spirit and are they for today? Yeah? And so we, we, people fought that battle. Churches split over that. Christians didn't talk to one another over that. Yeah, people were made to feel very uncomfortable over that. And, uh, and it was very much about, you know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be baptised? Do you speak in tongues? Don't you speak in tongues? What does this mean? And people would debate that for days. Yeah? And we were in there. We were, well, as far as we were able, we didn't know, I didn't know very much, but we were in there. That was the world in which we lived. But do you know what? Whether we think of it or not, that battle has been done. Yeah? People do not leave churches anymore because in this church they speak in tongues and in this church they don't speak in tongues. Yeah? That's not part of the debate anymore. I imagine if we went round this room, some of us would speak in tongues and some of us wouldn't speak in tongues. But I don't think anyone's going to leave the church because we do or because we don't. But 30 years ago, that's absolutely what people did. So... And that was a period of time where we had that battle. But today, we have different battles in the church. And so it becomes important that we're led by the Spirit into whatever it is the Spirit, however the Spirit would lead. You look at any person in the Bible that God uses or any person in history that God uses, their journey is different to the next journey. Gideon, God uses Gideon differently to how he uses Samson. Yeah, They're led by the Spirit. Jesus is led by the Spirit. And so for me, being led by the Spirit became really important that I would be open to however God would lead, bearing in mind all I wanted to do was honour him, bearing in mind Jesus was Lord, I want to be led. I want to be led. And so that meant at times I would end up doing things that naturally I would think, oh, no, I don't, I don't. I'm sure I didn't get taught that in, as I grew up as a Christian. I'm sure that wasn't part of the teaching. Well, it may not have been part of the teaching, but now... Church in uh, Brighton who helped to run New Day, Emmanuel Church, they've recently renamed themselves, have a comment, I think I mentioned it last week, on their website, I mentioned it somewhere, I can't remember. On their website it says, everything changes but the gospel. Everything changes but the gospel. So the idea that Jesus is the transforming power in the whole of the earth does not change. But the means and the method and the way that that gets interacted in the world in which we live is different. And if we don't accept that, we will be trying to recreate things that have passed. And so for me, being led by the Spirit became really important. And not only in that, for me, in John 16, Jesus says, when he says to his disciples, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. 
Yeah? And he, he also says that the Spirit will remind you of things that I've said, but he won't just remind you, he will guide you into things and he will show you the future. So the Holy Spirit is an active person with us today. And he guides us, he shows us, he speaks to us. And so for me, that became important, to be led by the Spirit. I don't know what your key values are that drive you. But to want to honour God, to want Jesus as the foundation stone of your life, to be Lord, to be led by the Spirit, wouldn't be a bad way to start. And then fourth for me, and this one in our day appears contentious, I never fully understand why, is this probably very high value I have of the local church. Yeah? And I don't mean they're, oh no, he's just telling us God to come to church. It's not so much about coming to church. It's recognising that God's answer to the problems of the world, God's manifest way of working out the gospel was through a people. It always has been and it always will be. It began with a person when it all didn't work with Adam and then with Noah and all of that kind of stuff. God chose Abraham and he chose Abraham to demonstrate to the world what he is like. And what was he like with Abraham? He says, I'll bless you, Abraham, and through you I'm going to make you a blessing to others and I'm going to bless the whole of the world through you. Yeah? Suddenly you see in God's relationship with Abraham that God is a God who blesses. He's a God of abundance. And always then, when he then chose Israel, it wasn't about choosing Israel because you're special and you're a particular kind of people and, I, and you were doing things that were a bit different. He did that in order that we might all come to know that same God. He's always chosen a people. He doesn't choose a principle. He doesn't choose a project. He doesn't choose a need. He chooses a people in order to demonstrate to the world himself. Then in Ephesians 3, it talks about now the manifold wisdom of God is displayed. How? Through the church. Jesus died that we might come into those relationships in the church. He didn't die to give you a project. He died to make you part of a community. And at the end of Ephesians, um, at the end of Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 2, it talks about, um, in him the whole building, this is Jesus, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. God lives in a dwelling, and that dwelling is the church. Yeah? The kingdom is the description of the reign and the rule of God, but the church is, if you like, the focal point of that. Others will benefit from that, but there is a focus. God wants to show the world, what am I like? How will you know what I am like? Yes, you can read about Jesus, you can hear about Jesus, but you can see Jesus in the people. People will know who Jesus is and who God is by your life and my life. Not just by our individual lives, but how our lives interact. 
one of the biggest objections to the gospel must be the divisiveness of the church. It must be. If the church wasn't important, why don't more people just come to faith? Why would the church be, in, be, a, be a hurdle to that? It's a hurdle to that because Jesus has said, through this group of people, you will understand what I am like. And over the years, I have become, and you'll know, can, I've just, that's a deep conviction for me, that building the community of God's people is the best way to show the world what God is like. It's the best environment to invite people in. It's where healing and wholeness comes. And it's where people learn to flourish in faith. Most Christians outside of the church, they don't flourish in faith. Because you were never designed to flourish in faith alone. You were always designed to flourish in faith in the community. Yeah? And God made provision for it. It wasn't like he just said it and we go, oh, God, that's a really difficult... Do you know these people? He made provision for it. In Ephesians, again, when he, when he speaks of this idea of one new humanity and he talks about aliens and strangers becoming friends and family as part of this body, and he says those who were once hostile to one another come into relationship with, with one another, and he brings peace in that place. Peace. That is supernatural because peace does not come naturally between hostile people. And so for me, the church became uh, such an important part. And, and not only in that, that was my experience. For all the normal humanness that you get in churches, for all the prejudice, for all the problems, for all the hurt that we all have gone through in church, I have gone through in church, for all of that, I realised this is the place in which God dwells by his spirit and it's his answer to this divided, broken world. And so for me, it just became... And so I, and so I went to church. Now, actually, now, it's different because you, you, you know, you're going to... Yeah, and you're going to say it, you're the pastor. You're going to say it, we pay. You, all these things. And yet the truth is, I attended church more when I wasn't paid than I do now I am paid. Now I'm paid, I have weeks off. Yeah. I never had weeks off church. I always went to church. <clears throat> I don't say that to make anyone feel... I just always went to church. The church became, for me, the family. It became the place where I belonged. Yeah? And my family were on the edge. Yeah? My mum and dad were married. They, they were together. But my dad didn't come to church. My mum took four kids to church. And I'm sure there were moments when this uh, Jamaican lady turns up with these four kids running around, remember we weren't necessarily uh, good kids at that age, we were running around, and I'm sure the church was like, oh, they're here, the Hiltons are here, yeah, me and my brother just running about, yeah, me fighting on the platform with my best friend who was the pastor's son, I gave him a right hook one Sunday, sent home, not for the first time, or the last, or the last. <laughs> yeah. But what I found there was, oh, so because when, you, when you're in family, you realise that belonging is not about your performance. So it wasn't about 
um, you know, here are those Hiltons. Even if they thought that, there was an acceptance. And so from that moment, from those moments when I look back, I'm like, I will seek whatever I do in my life, whether I'm working, remember I worked full-time for the CPS for 14 years, whatever I was going to do, I will be involved in building local church. Because I came through local church. And I saw that, that I was able, I was given the opportunity to, to fail. I was given the opportunity to flourish. I was given the opportunity to do well. I was, I was just given the opportunity. And that's because God calls us into that. And so for me, that became a primary thing. And it didn't matter what else I did. Yeah? It doesn't matter what else I see going on in the world. It doesn't matter what else is happening. For me, the church is the key answer to the gospel. The church is how we work out the gospel. And the gospel is the answer to the problems of the world. That's what it is. That's what I fundamentally believe. The gospel is the answer to the problems of the world. And the best place where the gospel is displayed is in the community of God's people. It's a heart thing. So when there was the option of doing this or doing that, I'm like, yeah, maybe, maybe. In the end, I've got to do something that points here. Because if I don't point here, I know I'm choosing second best. And then the final thing that really has come to me, and this has been massive in my life, was the understanding of grace. Oh, it changed everything. It changed everything when I realised that I had been accepted before I ever did anything. Yeah? Because the most natural tendency and danger of human beings is to repay. You do something good to me, I'll do something good to you. You invite me round, I'll invite you round. You're pleasant to me, I'm pleasant to you. God loves me, I'll love God. God does good stuff to me, I'll do good stuff for God. That is how we live. Yet that is not how we raise our children. Most of us, we don't raise our children like that. Grace is innate within us. I do not raise the kids based on their performance. There are moments, yes. There are moments when you're like, oh my, but you don't. Yeah? In the end, why is it, if that's true, why is it when you see individuals, when I used to work in the court, I'd see individuals who had fallen from grace, had committed some dastardly sin in the world and everyone's condemning them. They're sitting and people are, they're about to be, um, uh, I suppose, convicted and sent to prison. Sitting in the public gallery often is mum. And she's looking down. Yeah? It's grace. Her ability to go, he's my son. Yeah, I, know, I, know, I get it, but he's my son. It's grace. It's innate in us. There is something in us that extends it, and it comes from God. God is a God of grace. And it was one of the most fundamental truths that I discovered. Yeah? It is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith. And this, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Why? So that no one can boast. 
So if you get that truth, what you realize there is works don't change anything. Effort doesn't make a difference. Performance is not the answer, it's grace. To the point where the question that gets asked is, so does that mean, what if I just carry on sinning? What if I just keep doing stuff? We sing a number of songs, and I love them, which talk about, um, you know, there's that song that we've sung recently, uh, uh, The Everlasting Arms, where it talks about, you know, when we run out of our stores of endurance and all those things, and it talks about him giveth and giveth and giveth again. Or that song, or we sing, You Alone Can Rescue, where it says, my shame was deeper than the sea, but your grace was even deeper than that. It doesn't matter what you do. His grace is deeper. His grace goes further. His love is stronger. And you've kind of got to accept that and go, okay, God, I don't understand that. I don't know how to respond to that, but I accept that that is true because the Bible is full of that story. And if you were to take nothing else away. If you were to still say, oh, I've got questions about the church, I mean, I've got other thoughts. Fine. Don't do that about grace. Don't argue for performance. Don't argue for their work. Well, maybe. No, there's no maybe. There needs to come that point in your life where you go, Jesus, I accept it. I will stop. And, and then you go, what would I not be doing in my life, if I truly got grace. If I truly understood the unconditional acceptance of a loving father, what would I not be doing? What do I do because I think I must? Now, that's a risky thing for me to say. Yeah? Because suddenly there's no one serving next week. (laughs) Yeah? Suddenly I'm here, and I'm like. (laughs) But you need to ask yourself that question. What would I not be doing if I truly, truly believed I was accepted utterly and completely because of grace, because of what Jesus did, and it had nothing to do with me or my efforts? What would I not be doing? What stronghold would disappear in a moment in my mind if I accepted grace? And then the other part of that grace is there is that personal acceptance of grace. So I heard that, I understood that, and it, it, it drives me to this degree. I'm not motivated by need. I'm not. There are lots of needs in the world. They do not drive me. Not because I don't think they're important, but ultimately I'm going, actually, it's not about the needs that I see that matter. God is committed to his purpose. I just need to get on board with that. But then there is this other side of it, which has, I suppose, become more and more apparent as time has gone on, that God, I have received and been a recipient of grace. Can I extend that (coughs) grace to others? Can I show the same grace that has been shown to me to others? Can I show acceptance of others? Can I show kindness to others? 
And just really to, to finish, because I've gone on a bit, but this, this last thing, we, we live in such a broken world. We live in a world that has changed so much that things that used to be normal now, are they just become evangelistic. They become missional just because of the way the world has moved. And there's a couple of things that I just want to mention very quickly. I think marriage has become missional. Christian marriage. Because, it, because Christian marriage is so rare that if you do it right and you live it right, you're going to be a witness just by doing that. Parenting. If you, if you raise your kids according to God's way, they're going to be different. Yeah, They're going to be different. But also, grace. Grace is missional because people do not receive grace. We don't live in a world which can, can so easily put Christianity alongside any other faith or religion. But if you could and you took away prejudice and you took away emotions, there would be no comparison between what God has offered us through Jesus and the grace that comes our way and anything else. There is nothing you can compare it to. But we live in a world that's a bit messy and so it's hard to sometimes even see it. But that is the truth of the gospel. It's missional. So for us as a church, simply bringing people into the community where God dwells is missional. Simply getting them here. Because communities don't exist like this where he is not Lord. And then allowing in that process people to hear a gospel that transforms their life. And those are the five things that really, I I know, they kind of drive me. They drive my relationships, they drive my prayer, they drive what I do and they drive what I don't do. And I just thought I would share them with you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for uh, this wonderful group of people who've sat so politely and listened to me just chatting on. Um, But Lord, I do pray for such a deeper uh, interaction with you for this group. I pray, Father, that some who don't know grace would come to know it in such a deep way that some who are saved would come to know you as Lord, that some who uh, maybe they don't think about honouring you would want to honour you, they just want to love you and do whatever it takes to live a life that pleases you. Lord, I pray for that for us. I pray, Father, that that would be the increasing measure of who we are. In Jesus' name. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.